like to begin tonight by looking at Matthew chapter 28. And if you could turn there and then also grab your handouts. There's two half-sheet handouts that will go along with what we're talking about tonight. What does it take to build a church? Some would argue that it requires advertising and then uh, letting the people know about the benefits of coming to this church and then simply being nice to people. And so if you advertise, you let people know the product benefits, and then you be nice, then you're going to build a church. You're going to have lots of people. I would argue, however, that that would be a good way to build a crowd, but that's not the way that to build a church. And sadly, many churches use this as a church growth model. They simply, we get our name out there, if we're nice enough to people, then, then this is the way we build a church. But actually, the church is built uh, through people growing in the knowledge and love of the gospel and the word of God, and then living it. Now, it's not necessarily wrong to advertise. It's not necessarily wrong to tell people the benefits of our church. It's not necessarily wrong to be nice to people. It's not wrong at all, but... But what we need to understand is that evangelism is not a sales pitch. To get somebody to come to Christ is not like a sales pitch. You know, if we can just show them their need and then get them to see that, that, that they can afford it, then, then boom, we've got them to take the bait. we just got to close on them. When it comes to evangelism, we, I think we've wrongly bought into the idea that we simply need to close the deal. Like, if we just give it to them enough and then close the deal on them, then they have to take it. But evangelism doesn't uh, necessarily take place when a person closes on a deal. We'll see what evangelism really is tonight. But it's not when they make the decision. That's not evangelism. I'm sure you've heard of a lot of these sales technique, techniques that people have used in order to try to coerce people into making a decision. One man wrote a book called Soul Winning Made Easy, and he instructs Christians with soul winning hints such as get your prospect alone, press for a decision, present the gospel, and then he says this, lay your hand firmly on the subject's shoulder and with a semi-commanding tone of voice say to him, bow your head with me. Then he says, note, do not look at him when you say this, but bow your head first. Out of the corner of your eye, you will see him hesitate at first, and then, as his resistance crumble, crumbles, his head will come down. Your hand on his shoulder will feel the relaxation, and you will know that his heart has yielded. See, bowing your head, he says, causes terrific psychological pressure. Now, we can get people to psychologically make a choice, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're headed for heaven in any way. See, we can't coerce people into making a, a decision. And that's why I say evangelism is not a sales pitch because we can't close the deal. The best salesperson in the world cannot get someone to come to Christ. Ultimately, only God can. Our responsibility is simply to give the message. We leave it to God to close the deal. You see, so, so evangelism is not closing the deal. Evangelism is giving the message. Our main goal is not to get a decision. It's to spread the seed on the soil. You remember the parable of the soils? Where he spread the seed on the four different types of soil. Now, it doesn't talk about how he spread the seed, but the point was that the growth happened because of the growth giver. God, that, that when it fell on the road, the side of the road, Satan came and swept that away. And, and when, it, when it came in the shallow ground, it grew up quickly and then went away. And then it, it grew up in the thorny soil and the thorns choked it out and it was gone. But then when it was in the good soil, it grew up. You see, whether or not someone chooses to, to follow Christ is not our prerogative. Ours is simply to give the message. God does the growth. God causes the growth. So we can build a crowd if we want to. There's all sorts of uh, dog and pony shows we could do in order to build a crowd, but that's not what we're trying to do. Trying to build a people 
who follow God. Now, we have come now to the fourth essential of a healthy church. Okay, we said that the first is worship. We have to be involved in worship. Included in worship is simply meeting together, honoring God for who He is. Included in that is singing and prayer and the preaching of the Word, giving. Those are all included in worship. But in addition to that, there should be instruction. And that instruction should include both, I think, expository preaching and regular, ongoing, church-wide discipleship. And then thirdly, there should be fellowship. And fourth, we come to this one today, and that is evangelism. So an easy way to to remember these, worship, instruction, fellowship, evangelism, is to take the first letter of each. It spells wife. Okay? Worship, instruction, fellowship, and evangelism. Our main goal as a church is to glorify God by making disciples of all nations, teaching them everything that God has commanded them. Look at Matthew chapter 28. And this answers our first question, the first of five questions, and that is, am I required to evangelize? Matthew 28, verse 18. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. When we studied this passage in, in the very first week of the year, uh, we said that this passage, in this passage, Jesus is speaking to his tw- 11 disciples here. But by extension, he's referring to the disciples of all the ages. And we know that because of the end of verse 20. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Would those 11 disciples last all the way till the end of the age? Remember, it's still future for us, so no, they would not. So Jesus is talking to more than just these 11. He's talking to all disciples from the time of His ascension all the way until He returns. And so the answer to the first question is, of course, yes. Turn to Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11. Well, we need to recognize that this is an every-member responsibility. We don't pay professionals to evangelize. It is an every-member responsibility. In, in chapter 11 here, we'll see in a little bit that the church scatters, but in chapter 8, don't have to turn there, Philip is preaching throughout the chapter. He, remember, he goes up alongside the eunuch who's on the, the chariot, and he he. He talks to him about Isaiah, the passage he was reading, and he explains to him from the Scriptures who Jesus is. Philip is neither a pastor nor an apostle. He's simply a member of a church somewhere, and he's preaching the Gospel. He's teaching, he's explaining, he's evangelizing. Chapter 11, verses 19-21. through So then, those who were... Uh, those who were scattered because of the persecution that occurred in connection with Stephen made their way to Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except the Jews alone. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. Here we have a pattern given for us in the early church that it was not simply the the uh, Christian elite or the Christian leaders even. It was all members. The church that was scattered were, were taking the gospel to the people around them. And then 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. This is probably a familiar verse for you. But you remember... What we need to understand here is that Peter is speaking to believers who are are uh, scattered throughout the uh, Asia Minor. He's speaking to believers. And in chapter 3, verse 15, notice what he says to them. He's speaking to the church at large. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Okay, so see the plural idea. He's not just speaking to a pastor here. He's speaking to everyone. 
sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. Peter, to scattered believers, says that you need to always be ready to give an answer for the hope that is in you. The Gospel. So, second question. What is evangelism? What is evangelism? In order for us to see what evangelism is, I think it would be helpful to see what evangelism is not. Okay, number one, evangelism is not getting a decision. That's what I was alluding to at the beginning of the message. Evangelism is not getting a decision. Because ultimately, we can't force somebody to make a decision. All we can do is present the facts before them and then allow God to do that work. Remember, what we're dealing with are spiritually dead bodies, right? Ephesians chapter 2 says that you, talking to believers, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were hostile towards God. There was nothing within you that, that could, could bring yourself to God. So it's not as if we're throwing them a rope and they need to grab on and, and bring themselves in the rest of the way. That's not how the gospel works. It's all God. But he does it through the proclamation of the gospel. So what we're dealing with is spiritually dead bodies. And so for us to try to force someone to make a decision would be the equivalent of digging up a casket and giving CPR to a dead body and hoping that it would come to life. It would be as if Ezekiel, who was preaching in Ezekiel 37 to the dead bones, remember? What did he do there? Did he get over there and stitch all the bones together and and hope that the flesh would come back somehow? No. He just spoke words. That's it. So evangelism is not getting a decision. Number two, evangelism is not imposing our beliefs on someone. It's not imposing our beliefs on someone. Okay, so this is my opinion. This is my belief. Really, it's more than that. These are facts. And so we just explain the facts to people. Now, what's interesting about our understanding of evangelism is that we often think that evangelism happens when someone comes to Christ. But evangelism actually happens when we explain the gospel. We simply have to give the gospel. We can still uh, evangelize without getting a decision. Do you realize that we could put a a gun to a person's head and force them to buy a certain type of automobile, a Ford or a GM or even a Toyota or Chrysler, okay? Or we could force them with a gun to their head to buy Cutco knives. They would have to do it or we would kill them, all right? Or we could even force them to follow another religion like Buddhism, okay? Highly works-based, Catholicism. Islam, all of these could be adequately worked out in a person's life if they had a gun to their head their entire life, couldn't they? But not Christianity, you see. You cannot be forced to become a Christian. You know why? Because Christianity begins with a change of what? Of the heart. And so you can't impose your beliefs on someone. So when you when it comes to evangelism, don't ever think, I just got to get them on my side. If I can just get them to think like I think, then then I'll have them. It's as simple as explaining to them the truth about Jesus Christ, praying that God would do a work in them, and then sitting back and watching God do it. That's evangelism. Evangelism is not number three, social action or political involvement. We're not trying to get people to adopt the same views as us with regard to alcohol or economy or abortion or women's rights or slavery. It's not satisfying the political needs of the city. And I'd like to talk more about this in the future because this, I think, affects our church specifically because of what has happened in the church at a church in our area. And so I I don't have time to, to go into that in detail now, but but let's just leave it at that. Evangelism is not social action or political involvement. Number four, evangelism is not giving a tract. 
Now, hear me out. A tract may be a good tool that you use to evangelize, to help someone understand the gospel. But simply laying a tract on a, on a table at, at a restaurant is not evangelism in itself. Sometimes we feel like we've done our, our spiritual duty if we firebomb people with tracts. Well, well they, they had to accept it, right? Who knows if they actually read it? And so we should, should not um, convince ourselves that we've done evangelism if we've just distributed a thousand tracts in our neighborhood or something like that. Now, certainly that's better than nothing. Um, but you understand what I'm saying. There's more to evangelism than simply giving a tract. Number five, evangelism is not necessarily inviting someone to church. I began by saying there's all sorts of um, ideas about how we can build a church. And a lot of people think that if you just go out and, and canvas the neighborhood and just get people to come, then, then that's evangelism. Now, that does happen, by the way. Okay, It's good to invite people to church. I think that's a good thing. But that's not necessarily evangelism. Because a person could come to church and never hear the gospel or only hear a part of the gospel. And what they need is someone who loves them and who knows them to explain the truth to them specifically. Number six, evangelism is not necessarily giving the entire gospel in one setting. Okay, so, so we don't have to when we are praying for that neighbor, I really want to see this person come to Christ. So I'm going to give them the Gospel. And so every time we see them, we, we go through the Romans Road or we go through uh, whatever, the bridge tract or two ways to live, whatever it is. We, we have to give it all to them all in one time. That's not usually how evangelism works. It is a process. It takes time. It requires a relationship. So evangelism is not these things. So what is evangelism? Evangelism literally means to proclaim good news. To proclaim good news. That's what evangelize literally means. Evangelism then is simply speaking words. It's sharing news about the gospel. It's proclaiming the gospel. So that doesn't necessarily mean that you will win converts simply means that your job is not to win converts, but it is to proclaim the good news. Let God handle whether they respond or not. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Our responsibility, as I said with the, seed, the parable of the sowers, is to spread the seed. That is, to explain the gospel. Paul understood this. Paul didn't know who would respond. Notice... First uh, Corinthians chapter two, that's not the uh, verse I was looking for. Sorry, First Corinthians chapter one, verse sixteen, seventeen. First Corinthians chapter one, Verse 16, Now I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized any other. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not in cleverness of speech, so that the cross of Christ would not be made void. But if Paul understood his responsibility was to give the gospel and then get out of the way. Give the gospel to someone and allow God to make it take root. His job was not to, to, to gain all these converts and put a bunch of notches on his belt for all these converts that he made. Now, over time, that's what happened because he was so committed to the process of evangelism. But his main responsibility was to proclaim the good news. So, in short, evangelism is presenting the good news freely and trusting God to convert people. And I tell you, this is very liberating when it comes to fulfilling our responsibility. When we recognize that it's not our responsibility to get someone to make a decision, 
it's very liberating. We can actually obey God and still not see converts. Now, that's not what we want, obviously, but, but we can obey God and allow the rest to be given to Him. So, if you've given the gospel to someone and they've rejected it, don't feel as if you've disobeyed God. Be persistent with them. Continue to show them love and wait for God to do a work in them. This leaves us with three implications that come from uh, Pastor Doran's notes, who I lean heavily on throughout this, this study on the healthy church. First of all, he says, we should be more concerned with content rather than conversions. Okay, so content rather than conversions. Secondly, we should be more focused on our responsibility than on our results. Responsibility rather than results. And then thirdly, we are confident in God's power through the Word rather than our own persuasiveness. So we don't have to take up a bunch of sales technique courses in order to be a better evangelist. We simply trust in the power of God. Do you realize that someone could could as if you were an unbeliever someone could give you the gospel and bumble through it and say a lot of things wrong and make some mistakes and God's power could still work through them in fact we're all sinners and there is a possibility that we could not give the gospel completely perfectly and cannot God still work through the gospel Certainly He can. The Gospel content I've listed for you there. It, it includes, okay, so this helps us to see what is the Gospel. It includes who Jesus is. So we tell them who Jesus is. That Jesus is the Savior for those who recognize their sin. Then we tell them what Jesus has done. That He died to take their sin. And also what Jesus offers, that He offers reconciliation with God and what He demands, that He demands our life. He demands repentance and faith. The one we primarily tend to focus on is the offer. Okay, Turn on your, your uh, TV preachers and this is what they will focus on. Here is what Christ can offer for you. Okay, If you just take this as 90-day trial... Just try it out. See what. See if you like it. And it's it's going to be all great. But what we fail to recognize often is that the gospel includes more than just what he offers. It includes what he demands. That it demands a change of life, and it includes who Jesus is and what he has done. And that's why Jesus was able to often when he would come into contact with unbelievers, he would explain to them from the scriptures about himself. He would say, this is who I am. This is what I've done. This ought to be your response to the gospel. Third question we want to ask is, where does evangelism come from? Turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. Where does evangelism come from? In other words, what's the motivation behind it? First of all, it should be motivated by our desire to see God glorified. 1 Peter 2.12 Peter writes, Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles. The goal of our proclamation of the Gospel is that God is glorified. So it begins with a love for God. If I love God as I ought to, then I will gladly proclaim the gospel. And that goes along with our next point, which is to desire to obey God. It's out of, it comes out of a desire to obey God, which comes from Matthew 28. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Um, and, and make disciples, excuse me, and, and uh, baptizing them and... and making sure that they obey everything that we've that he has commanded. And then it comes from a the motivation comes from a love for unbelievers. 
We don't have to turn there, but Matthew 9.36, Jesus, seeing the people, looked around and with great compassion saw them as a sheep with no shepherd. He, he had this great compassion that came out of His love for those people. He wanted to see them come to Himself. So we should, we should look around at unbelievers around us, recognize their terrible plight, and desire that they come to Christ just as God gave us the grace to do the same. Then fourthly, it comes for a love for believers. A love for believers. Now this sounds kind of strange, but our love for believers actually goes hand in hand with our love for the Gospel. If you don't love believers in this local church, and you don't want to see them enjoy the, the blessings that come from knowing Christ, then why would you ever love someone outside the church and want to see them enjoy the blessings of Christ. You see? It begins with a love for our own people, our own the, the members of this church. So if you want to find a love within yourself for the lost, then begin by loving the church that Christ died for. From there, it will springboard into a love for the lost. And what happens is when unbelievers do see believers interact, they will see that genuine selfless love, and that actually lends credibility to the message of the Gospel. And uh, God often uses that to bring glory to Himself, as we just read in 1 Peter 2. Number four, how do I evangelize? How do I evangelize? I believe it begins with, um, with knowing the Word. Evangelism is fundamentally proclaiming God's Word or God's good news. So if it is proclaiming God's good news, then it begins, our, our, uh, our understanding of how to evangelize begins with understanding what the good news is for ourselves. Now, obviously, we all, all understood it to a point where we were able to accept it as truth and be changed by it through the, the, the power of the gospel. But do we know it enough to tell other people about it? Do we know the basic components of the gospel? Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So we need to know the Word of God. And then secondly, we need to be ready to make the Word known we need to be ready to make the Word known. Be ready in season and out of season. No matter who comes and asks you for the hope that lies within you, you should be able to and willing and, and desirous to, to defend the Gospel. Evangelism generally takes place within relationships. It generally takes place within relationships. How many of you were saved as a result of a stranger coming to you and giving you the gospel? Okay, there there are people who come to Christ like that. But generally that is not the case. Generally a person like you and me come to Christ through someone we already know. We don't simply hear the message and then, oh, that's a good message, I respond to that. Often what God uses is the credibility of a godly life. And most of us, in fact, were not saved the very first time we heard the Gospel. How many of you were saved the very first time you heard the Gospel? Okay, I wasn't either. So, so generally, it takes a godly life, which lends credibility to the Gospel, and persistence, that we continually tell them about God and pray for them and continually... Uh, work on them. Help them to see the truth about God and, and be patient with them. Most people don't come to Christ through a cold call. Now, my point is not that we go out and take polls of how everybody came to save and came to Christ and we do all those things. But, but what I'm trying to uh, point out is that genuine conversions often take place within relationships. They start to see who we are what we're all about, is this really what you believe? Is this really what you're living? Or is this just something you're saying? And then they respond. So, how can we make contact with the loss? 
I would guess that you already have a decent amount of people that you know who are unbelievers. So I would encourage you to develop those relationships. And that's where the second sheet comes in handy. And I would urge you, strongly urge you to fill this out. Fill this sheet out as much as you can. You don't have to fill out every one. If some of these categories don't fit for you and you have more in other areas, then, then let it spill over. That's fine. Make it work. But, but the point is, is we ought to be able to see the relationships that we already have. Sometimes what we think we have to do is we have to go, okay, we, gotta, we have to go to this door or we have to go all the way down to the end of our block. When, when we've got our neighbor right next to us who's unsaved and we talk to him about every week, when it's summer, not now. Uh, we we have we have people within our own immediate or extended family who we talk to on occasion or maybe frequently, and they're not believers. And sometimes our hang-up is is that we don't want to talk to those type of people because sometimes the hardest people to talk to is the people who we are the closest to. And yet, that is the best place to start. So. How do, how do we get the gospel out to the lost? First of all, we need to see the fields around us. See the fields and that they're white for harvest. And understand that we need to maintain credibility in our relationships. That, that we can actually harm the gospel by our actions. So that means we must work hard to live pure and godly lives. And that's why I went back, that's why I began with we need to know the Word and love the church. Those are the foundational things when it comes to evangelism. We think it all has to do with technique, but it's not. It has to do with a godly life and an understanding of the Scriptures. Suppose I had been telling my neighbor for years that. I loved the Word of God, and it was the most important thing in my life. And every night for the last week, he found me staggering home drunk. What would he think the next time I went to share the Gospel with him? You believe the Gospel? You think it really changes a person? You're a mess. Why would I ever want that? I can get that without making a commitment to God. You see how... Our testimony lends credibility to the gospel. Now, the gospel is an, is an amazingly powerful thing because it's, it's the good news about God. And so he can work through those types of even foolish type of people or sinful people and still cause someone to come to him. Okay, Don't get me wrong. But there is great credibility. There, there is design that he has provided that we would lend credibility to it as we really believe it and we really live it. It all goes back to our relationship with God personally and our relationship with our own church. So that means that we need to love God and we need to love God's people. Develop your relationship with the Lord. Make sure that that is priority number one. Seek first, as we sang this morning, the kingdom of God. That's the very first thing. And then love God's people. That's an expression of your love for God. Out of that will grow a desire for the lost. And then we need to understand that evangelism can only be done to the lost. Okay, We can't evangelize other believers. So one of the things that we need to be careful about is enclosing ourselves or isolating ourselves into a Christian bubble where we have our our church. That's good. We need to be a part of a church and we need to be regularly attending the church. But we have our Christian church. We have a Christian family. We have our Christian dentist. We have a Christian mechanic. And because there's no Christian bank or, or restaurant, we go through the drive through on those so we can keep as far away from the stain of the sin of the world. But that's actually not... A, a biblical model. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Okay, I'm being a little facetious, but actually I I am uh, thinking through this on my own because I actually have a Christian dentist and for years I've had a Christian mechanic. And one of the ways that we'll talk about here in just a second 
to increase our circles of influence, our spheres of influence, is to get out of this bubble. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. Paul says, I did not at all mean with the immoral people of this world, that is, not to associate with them, as he was talking about in verse 9, or with the covetous or swindlers or idolaters. For then, if you were to not associate with all these people, then he says, you would have to go out of the world. And isn't that true? Right? Verse 11. But actually, I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother if he's an immoral person or covetous or an idolater or a viler or a drunkard or a swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what I have to do, for what have I to do with judging outsiders? Do you not judge those who are within the church? For those who are outside, God judges. Remove the wicked man from among yourselves. So what Paul's working on here is a professing believer who's acting like an unbeliever and is unwilling to change. That's the type of person that you need to remove from your midst. He's not talking about coming outside of the world or creating inside the world this little bubble because he's saying you can't do it. You're always going to run into unbelievers. If you want to get away from them, then you've got to go outside the world. It's just not possible. So, so the Scriptures never teach, they, they never warrant us to, to make our own little Christian planet and we should recognize that, that the world really needs to hear the Gospel. Isn't it great that people around us who gave us the Gospel didn't enclose themselves in a spiritual bubble or a Christian bubble? So, we need to come outside of this, these, uh, some of these circles of influence that we're unwilling to break. And that means that we need to expand or make new relationships with unbelievers. That's E on your outline there. Make new relationships with unbelievers. Okay, so maybe when you fill out this evangelism opportunity sheet, you find that you only have a handful of people that you know that are unbelievers and that you regularly interact with. You only have a handful. So what I would suggest to you is work on them. Okay, Give them the gospel. Pray for them regularly. But also... Try to expand this sheet so that it could could be even more. So number one, here's one way you can do that. Build relationships with non-Christians. Interact with them. Okay, The most basic thing I could possibly say is interact with non-Christians. You can still be a child of God and do that. Number two, take frequent walks around your neighborhood. Take walks around your neighborhood and do the same path every day what you're going to find over time is that there are certain people that either walk also or they'll sit on their porch and they'll say something to you as you walk by. Okay, so take walks around your neighborhood. Number three, participate in secular sports, sports leagues or secular group activities. Secular sports leagues or group activities. Now, I'm not suggesting that we need to go as far as going to the bar and making friends at the bar. I don't think that is necessary. I don't think that's wise. Okay, but there are legitimate ways that you can interact within our community, within your area of interest even. Okay, if you don't like sports, don't get into sports league. Get into something that you enjoy. If you like knitting, get into a knitting club. Number four, develop relationships with your coworkers. Have them over for dinner. Unbelievers over our house? What if they pollute my children? Right? Invite your co-workers over for dinner. Number five, show love to your neighbors. Have them over for a cookout. Okay? Simple acts of love. Not in order to, uh, to, to force them to make a decision, but in order to have a, a relationship where you have the ability to talk to that person. To be open with them. And when certain things come up, you'll, you'll see opportunities there to share the Gospel with them. It's amazing what, how, how quickly they come and how they look to you for answers a lot of times. Number six, go to the same places at the same times for everything you do. Go to the same places at the same time for everything you do. That, in other words, 
go to the same grocery store. You see the same person in the checkout. You see the same person at the meat counter. Talk to them. Just develop a relationship. You don't have to, to be weird about it or anything. Just, just talk to them. Like you would, you would talk to anybody. Same restaurants. I have a, a, a man that I look up to very much, and he makes it his purpose to go to the same restaurant and sit, try to sit in the same area of the restaurant and try to get the same waiter. Sometimes he asks for that same waiter. And then he just develops a relationship with them. And he starts praying for him. And, uh, in fact, uh, a friend of mine, Rob Pfeiffer, who actually spoke here on a Sunday night, no hair in the top guy. All right, let's cut that from the audio. Um, uh, he was actually saved as a result of this man's testimony. In his later years, he was simply uh, a waiter at a Red Lobster in Ypsilanti. And this man kept coming to, to that restaurant and explaining him to the gospel. He developed a relationship, explained the gospel. And he does this over and over again. This is his ministry. It's a great thing. So, so you could do that as a family. Go to the same restaurants. Go to the same gas station. And don't pay at the pump. Go inside and pay. And I know that's inconvenient. But it's an opportunity to develop a relationship. Go to the same barber. Go to the same bank. And don't do anything in the drive through over time, what you're going to find is you don't have to force these opportunities. That's what we feel like sometimes. Like, ah, I just don't know any unsaved people, and so now, here, take this track. But that's not what we have to do. We, we start to do normal ways of communicating with people, and over time, they know our name, we know their name, we know some things about them, and we start explaining the gospel when the opportunity comes. We don't force it. We're patient. We recognize that God is the one who's going to have to do the work. And then uh, letter F there, proclaim the good news. No one has ever gotten saved by simply watching a Christian. You can't get saved by simply watching Christians live. Faith comes by what? Hearing. And hearing by the Word of God. So we actually have to express the Gospel to people. Now, I said before that evangelism is not inviting someone to church. My point was that we shouldn't feel like we've actually given out the good news if we've invited someone to church. However, we should also recognize that unbelievers are not banned from the church. That is a good place for them to see other believers interact and see the love of Christ among them. And so, as the opportunities come, it may be a good thing to invite them to church but it may be a little bit too much for some people to handle. So that's why we need to be willing to give it on our own. We can't just say, well, I've invited them to church and they wouldn't come, so I've evangelized them. Well, no, you haven't. They haven't heard the good news. You need to give them the good news. Then number five, the fifth question, how can my church, this church, help me to evangelize? The primary way that the church equips believers to proclaim the good news is by helping uh, helping believers grow in their knowledge and their love for the gospel. That is the primary way that the church can help you. The, lo- the local church is a place where um, we learn more about God. And as our love for God grows and our desire for to obey God grows and our desire to see people saved grows, then we see more people involved in evangelism, in personal relationship type of evangelism. Secondly, I think the church equips believers. All right, so that number one was helping you grow in your knowledge. Second way is the church equips believers to proclaim the good news with with tools and resources. Hopefully, we can provide resources for, for you, like a tract. A tract is a very helpful tool. But it should not be the end, is what I was trying to make a point of earlier. It should be a tool that we say, listen, I can show you what I, what I mean by the good news that I'm talking about. Okay? Here's what it is. God is the creator of the world. We have sinned. We have fixed this gulf between us and God, and so on. And, and we can use a, a track to help us in that way. And we, we help provide those things for you so that you don't have to go and find those on your own. We have a whole rack of them in the back. 
the the church also equips believers to proclaim the good news with strategic events. Okay, with certain strategic events. Now, I've been thinking about this a lot recently, and I've been trying to think, okay, how can we as a church be involved in evangelism? I think the primary way that we can is by each of us individually getting charged to do evangelism among our own relationships. That's the number one way. And if I could take all of your resources and energy, I would apply it to that. Now, what the church is going to do for you is is we're going to come alongside and offer other events that are available for you over time that as you get into a relationship close enough where you feel comfortable to invite them to something like that, then they can come. So they, they may not feel comfortable sitting in a church like we are now, but they may feel comfortable sitting at a ladies' tea, or they may feel comfortable men's work day. No, maybe not that one, but um, but, uh, but but some other things like the the harvest home or the fireworks. Lots of different opportunities that we have, and I'm actually thinking about some other ones that we can do. The best sorts of events that we can provide for you as a church, I think, involve both your ability to serve, in other words, you're you're able to help in ways to put on these types of events, and also that fit into the natural uh, circle of your relationships. So if we had 50% of our people were hunters, they had a lot of hunting buddies who are unbelievers. Well, then it would make sense to have some sort of a hunting activity or a hunting, a hunting event and, and give the gospel at something like that. Um, but those are the types of things that the church, I think, can help you in this relationship because most people are not going to feel comfortable coming to a church service. Now, Again, these events don't necessarily constitute evangelism, but they can be a tool. We need to understand the difference. Evangelism is giving the gospel. The world is ripe for harvest. Jesus says, look out in the fields. They're white already for harvest. All we need is someone who is going to go out or a whole group of people who are willing to go out inside of their circles of influence and and be willing to share that gospel. It could be that your workplace is full of people ready to hear the gospel, but they're just waiting. They're just waiting for someone to build a relationship with them and share the gospel. It could be that your neighborhood is full of people who are ready to respond to the gospel. Remember, it's not your prerogative for them to respond, but it is your prerogative to give them the gospel. So we need to share it. The gospel doesn't have to be sugar-coated. It's powerful on its own. God has designed that it would be proclaimed through believers as they explain the Word to the people around them. It's how we all came to, came to Christ, apparently. It's not how everybody comes to Christ, but it's about the way that we all came to Christ here. And that's the way that your neighbors are going to come to Christ. Is when you give the gospel. If the white is, if the field is white for harvest, then we simply need to go. And what I would encourage you to do, I, I've put some things on here on the sheet on evangelism opportunities. Pray regularly for these people on the sheet. I'm going to fill this out this week. And I encourage you, I urge you to do the same. Begin praying for these people regularly, regularly, and you'll find that these opportunities pop up a lot more easily than they did before. Because now you're thinking about it. You're praying for God to give you opportunities. And then enlist other believers to do the same. Now you don't have to say, okay, here's my list. I copied it and gave it to you. That may be what you want to do. But but maybe pick a couple key people that, that you really feel a burden for. And enlist other believers to pray. That's what we're here for as a church. We're here to work with you and Maybe as you invite some people over to your house, maybe for that cookout or something, invite another family of the church over as well. Good opportunity for them to see believers interact. All right, uh, I think there's a lot there, a lot that we had, you know, that we covered tonight. But I think it was important that we did so because 
evangelism really starts with our love for God and our desire to see other people love God as well. So as our love for God grows and our love for other believers grow, our love for unbelievers will grow. Let's bow together for prayer. Father, we thank You that we could come this evening and be challenged by Your Word and by the truth of it. We thank You that the Gospel for us does not grow old, that we we don't grow tired of it. But the, the truth of it remains amazing to us. And that's why we sing songs like Amazing Grace and How Can It Be and And Can It Be that, that You would save a soul like us that, that when we were dead and hostile and opposed to You and deserving of Your wrath, You sent someone our way to share the Gospel with us. And it took time it took a lot of effort on their part probably, but eventually you softened our heart through the power of the Gospel and you changed it. How could we not want to see that happen in someone else? Lord, we know that it's not our prerogative to know who will come to You, but it is ours to, to give the Gospel to the people that we have relationships with and to pray for them regularly. So we pray that as individuals that we would be faithful to this task that we have been given by our Lord and Savior. And that as a church, we would help equip people to do this. And that we would help come alongside and pray for others who are doing the same. And Lord, you, I pray that You would help me to be a leader in this area. That I would be looking out for opportunities myself. Not expecting everybody else to do it, but, but, but that evangelism would start with me and with my relationships. May May I be so in love with You and Your Gospel that I would be willing to share it with whomever no matter what kind of persecution may come. Lord, You know our hearts and we pray that You would change our hearts to be in keeping with what You want. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.